The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. What's up, guys? This is the Talking the Star podcast. I'm your host, Connor Livesey, joined by my co-host today, Joey Ikes. Uh, And we are going to talk about some second-year guys this year. Uh, We're about a month out from training camp, so we'll get the ball rolling on that here in the next week or two. Uh, But we're really focusing on today the the year two guys, so guys who were rookies last year, and their kind of role that we kind of see fitting them into the team this year as we head into 2023 but before we get started Joey how are you I'm doing well man it's been a uh, it's we are deep in the uh, doldrums of the NFL summer and um at the same time I, I don't know what it's like where you are but uh it's hot man it's ridiculous yeah it's super hot it's, I'm in the middle of my travel baseball season right now and we played last weekend it like rained all weekend and then you know, when we were playing after rain and before rain, it was just so hot. We go to North Carolina this weekend. We go to Georgia in a couple weeks, and then we go to Cincinnati in a couple weeks. So I'm sure I'll get crushed by the the heat here these next few months. I mean, you'll be living in a sauna for the next few months. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah, looking forward to that, but uh, also looking forward to training camp and getting our eyes on some of these uh, year two guys. Um, so we're going to roll through – we got a list of 10 to 15 guys that are going into year two and just kind of we're going to label out some of the the roles we see these guys fitting into. And just if we think they're guys who are going to make the team, if so, that role, if not, you know, are there guys we can squeak on the practice squad or is it kind of you're cutting your losses uh, only after one year? So let's go ahead and get started. And I think we're going to start here uh, with the running back group and Malik Davis, um, a guy that last year got a little bit of run, but with Ezekiel Elliott and uh, Tony Pollard and uh, uh, Rico Dowdle at times like he didn't see a lot of time he saw a little bit of action and the action he got he impressed I think um, was a good he was a preseason darling and now he's kind of slated to be your RB2 maybe RB3 at worst this year so I think he's gonna see the field a lot more this year than he did last year so um, what what your expectations and kind of where do you see Malik Davis fitting into the swing of things uh, in 2023? Yeah I think 
you know, what you want to see from Malik Davis is you want to see him grab on to that pure running back two role and be the reason why Ronald Jones doesn't make the team, right? Like that's the ideal uh, scenario for Malik Davis is that he's good enough in camp, solid enough in protection, you know, all, all the things that you want that second, you know, traditional running back to be, uh, that he's good enough in those areas to make Ronald Jones expendable. Because if he does that, then you've got you've really got a chance to have, even though Tony Pollard's making more money than one running back needs to make, when you take Tony Pollard and Deuce Vaughn and maybe a Hunter Lepke and a Malik Davis, you've got three of those running backs basically free plus Tony Pollard, you're paying a four running back room $12 million total or something like that. And that's perfectly fine, even if one running back is getting 10 of it, right? Um, And so I think that's probably the expectation is that he should challenge Ronald Jones for that second running back role. Yeah, no doubt. I'm I'm right there with you. I mean, I think – and I think he's got that in him. I mean, like I said, he was a guy who – Really impressed her in preseason and camp. And then the little bit of action he saw last year, I thought he did well in. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of just not questions or concerns, but just the uncertainty, what he could do on third down as a pass protector and a pass catcher, um, just because he wasn't asked to do that much. So, you know, we'll see in preseason and camp this year if he's improved as a pass protector, if he's ready to make a difference as a pass catcher. But um, I think we're going to see quite a bit of Malik Davis this year. I mean, he's cheap. Um, he's got some explosiveness to him. So I think he's a, a, a good rotational guy to have in that backfield and kind of mixes things up from your, your Tony Pollard's and your, like you said, your Ronald Jones and, and different body styles and body types and Deuce Fawns. So I think he's a guy who's going to see quite a bit of run this year. And, and I think he'll do pretty well in the, in the role he's given. Yep. I think you got it. All right. Next one, Jalen Tolbert. And this is probably the, one of the bigger conversation pieces just because the expectations that we had for him last year obviously didn't get met and obviously didn't get close to being met. So now you're going into year two um, with Jalen Tolbert and you're trying to figure out, is he going to be a dude for you or is he going to be what he was last year, which is a guy who, you know, could, if that's the case, you know, you, you hate, you hard to even see him coming back in year three. Jalen Tolbert, where where are you at with him, his role and expectations heading into 2023? Yeah, Jalen Tolbert's such a hard question, man, because it's one of those that, like, you know, the rookie year and the development and all that kind of stuff is really important. And you just wonder, did there did an idealistic view of what a rookie wide receiver could do put him in position to fail. And I think they we've heard it from all up and down the organization that they they felt like they gave him too much. And the funny thing is in training camp, like there was a little bit of like Jalen Tolbert like hype and and drumbeat going on of like making plays and contested catches and like to the point that like, you know, they were talking about hearing on national podcasts talking about hearing that the coaching staff really liked him, that he was playing really well, that all that kind of stuff. And then it was like the end of the preseason rolled around and it became time to like get into game plan or get into, you know, regular work. And he just disappeared off the face of the earth. And, you know, Dennis Houston is starting in week one over him and all this other kind of stuff. And it's, you know, you wonder if if they just said, all right, you're going to be, you're going to be our, um, 
contingency plan at X for Michael Gallup. Like, if they just plug him in there and say, you're not moving around, you're playing X. How could he have done? Or same thing at Z, because, you know, they didn't really have a, a Z last year either. Uh, if they just plug him at one spot and let him learn how to play that spot, is last year a different story? And then you hear the drumbeat this year coming into camp, talking about, you know, getting real close with Brandon Cooks and learning from him and and how, the big step that he's taken this year and all that. And I, I think you need Jalen Tolbert to be ready to contribute. Like, yeah. The top three wide receivers are pretty solidified for the next couple of years, really. But you need Jalen Tolbert to be a guy that, if there's an injury to one of those top guys, is ready to be in and and be a contributor. Or if he's, if there's not an injury, then he's the guy who steps in and has you know two to three targets a game and, and catches almost all of those and makes the play whenever you need him to make it and, and, you know, probably contributes a little bit on special teams too. Yeah. I mean, I, I put a tweet out a couple weeks ago, like kind of taking a stab at what his stats were going to be. And people like freaked out. Cause they're like, well, there's no way he'll make that unless there's an injury. And I'm like, well, have you guys not seen the Michael Gallup injury history over the last two years? And, you know, CD lamb, I don't think he missed a game last year, but he's missed one or two. Uh, before that, Brandon Cooks is, you know, known to miss a few games a year. So, I mean, I think with with a couple guys above him that might miss some games due to injuries, knock on wood, that doesn't happen. Like, I think he'll get a he'll get a decent role. And then, I mean, truly, I think you're at a spot with Michael Gallup right now. Knock on wood, he returns to form. But like, I mean, they they went out and traded for Brandon Cooks instead of relying on Michael Gallup to come back and be the guy. So they're. I'm not saying the time's running out on the Michael Gallup train, but if he's not ready to produce or he still looks like that dinged up, you know, not quite trusting his health, Michael Gallup, like there's a, I think there is a, you know, time and a place where Jalen Tolbert pushes him for some playing time. So I think he's going to be good this year. I think, like you said, I think he got dinged a lot, you know, by fans and some of that just from the workload that they put on him. But, I mean, there's times in camp and there's times in the preseason where he looked like, you know, he was the guy that we were all talking about all offseason. So I think the expectations were a little bit too high and maybe that hurt him as well. But I think in in year two for him, he's going to really carve out a nice little role in this team. Um, And and like I said, given certain injury circumstances and, you know, play level circumstances, I think he could really develop into a really quality wide receiver three if given that opportunity. So I'm I'm betting high on Jalen Tolbert heading into this year for sure. There you go. Um, we got Dennis Houston and Cavante Turpin. Both of those guys are your two guys. Um, just to speed it up a little bit, for me, I think I don't see a way that Dennis Houston makes the roster this year, even though I know that there's a lot of fans of his in that building. Um, so I think he's going to be a guy that they try to, you know, squeak onto and get onto the practice squad and try to keep around for another year. Um, and then Cavante Turpin, my thoughts on Turpin is unless somebody like Deuce Vaughn comes out and really pushes him as a return role, I think they'll probably stick with Turpin because he, for the most part, was pretty good last year as a return guy and gave them some some juice there that they've been missing for a while. Uh, so it kind of be shocking for me to see them move on from Turpin um, so soon after some of the good he brought to special teams last year um but i think both of those guys are kind of fringe roster guys and don't really have a a role defined for them yet they're gonna have to have good preseason stay healthy have good camps um so that's kind of where i'm at with those two guys i don't know if you feel the same or you think those guys are for sure roster guys or what no i think you i think you've got it nailed 
especially on Turpin, where it's like, even though the return game has been, you know, diminished because of the rule changes and all that kind of stuff, there will be a game where it's the fourth quarter and there's a minute 17 left and the defense gets a stop at the the opponent's minus 40 or something like that. And you need a 25, 30-yard punt return to put you in position to go down and try to score to win the game. Or, you know, something like that will happen at some point in the year. And if all you ever – if you don't have a guy who can do that, you're going to cost yourself a game. We we talk about kicker all the time for that same reason. You're going to have a game where you've got to kick a game-winning field goal, and if your kicker sucks, you're going to lose that game because of that. Um, So unless somebody has a huge step that has never really – there's really, as far as I know, nobody else who's really ever had a big return role on any team they've ever been on um, other than Turpin on this team. So I think I think Turpin's going to make the roster, and I think that there's a chance that, you know, I could you could talk about he played in the USFL and then turned right around and came to camp and all that kind of stuff and how much they wanted to give him because of that in terms of workload. Um, but he actually had a real-life offseason this year with, you know, conditioning and strength programs and all that other kind of stuff that um, there's a chance that with all that in place and with them knowing all offseason that they were going to have him, that there is a little offensive package for him um, a- as an option, as a, as a receiver or a runner or all those sorts of things. So I, I think Turpin definitely makes a roster. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's kind of my thought there. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. I think we're on the same page. All right, another interesting one is the tight end room, and that's Jake Ferguson, obviously, and Peyton Hendershot. Um I think we probably both envision both of those guys being on the roster, but I do think the discussion comes with both of those guys on the role, you know, where they're fitting into that depth chart and how much playing time they guys get, or is it, Hey, you got three of these dudes, let's just throw them out there and see who performs. Um, I'll let you kind of kick it off there. Like I said, I think this is another, another group and another, you know, position player that you kind of can, you can kind of talk about this for a little bit. Cause I don't know if you have a clear cut tight end one, um, I don't know if you have a clear-cut tight end two or tight end three. So it's kind of a – as you like to say, you kind of put them in the cup, shake it up, and pour them out on the table and see what see what ends up happening. That's kind of what you got going on there. But um, where are you at with Ferguson and Hendershot, and where do you think that they are, uh, you know, in year two? Yeah, it's tough because, you know, the conversation about Jake Ferguson also has to become a conversation about Luke Schoonmaker. And it's like, you know, we're – literally two months away from when he was drafted right now and you know we're already talking about well can he stay healthy you know i mean and so part of that's a little bit unfair to the kid the other part of that is he wasn't healthy at michigan he's only been in the nfl for two months and he missed part of that two months for an injury and so like is that injury situation going to keep him from immediately becoming what you want him to be um, when you draft him in the second round. Um, and if that is the case, then I think Jake Ferguson becomes, you know, relatively far and away the tight end one, um, just in, because of the fact that he's a little more well-rounded than Peyton Hendershot. Um, the way the Cowboys offense has historically used tight ends is more um, suited to a guy who gets, who is a, a really good run after catch player than a guy who's a, you know, theme stretching, you know, down the middle of the field type player. 
especially because they have a guy in C.D. Lamb who tests the middle of the field, down the field, from the slot. So uh, I think Jake Ferguson probably at least goes into training camp as your tight end one. Um, and then depending on – I think he gets challenged by Schoonmaker if Schoonmaker's healthy. But if he's not, then I think it you know is pretty clear cut. And then Peyton Hendershot, I think, is – you know, there were a few – there were some really impressive plays last year, and then there were some uh, some lapses on his part. And we all remember the play in Tennessee and all that kind of stuff. But there were some other plays that were less than ideal from Peyton Hendershot last year. So we will see um, what what his role is. I think we know who what he is as a player in terms of what he can do, and it's just a matter of, uh, of him showing that consistently again uh, through another training camp with another set of competition of guys who are – just like he was coming out last year as an undrafted free agent. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year, at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Yep, no, I'm, I'm there. I mean, like I said, I think Ferguson probably goes into and a lot of that due to just the availability of Luke Schoonmaker is Ferguson's probably your, your guy. Um, and the bet, you know, I say the bad thing, like Ferguson's a good player, but I don't know if that's, you know, solely based on his talent level. It's kind of almost out of necessity right now. Um, but, you know, Hendershot's a guy who I think's really got a, I mean, again, there was some, some stuff, you know, showed and coming out of mini camp and OTAs, you know, that some of those concentration struggles were still, you know, he's dropping some balls that were leading to picks. And that was something we just can't have happen again in 2023 so I, mean, I think he's a guy that you know probably is safe from a roster standpoint but you really need him to kind of try to make that next that next jump and and be somebody that you could trust and really be a reliable you know target to you because he's one of the few you know while he's not a what we call a terrible blocker you know he's probably more of your receiving threat than your Ferguson and Schoonmaker just because of the way that he plays and the style of you know, that he brings to the game. So he's just got to be reliable when you're going to target him. He can't be a guy who's double catching balls or not being in the right spot at the right time. So just that maturity and the, the that jump to year two, I think is a, you know, really interesting uh, concept around Peyton Hendershot because he's got talent. We saw that last year, like he came in as an undrafted free agent and impressed for the most part, but there was still a lot of those mental lapses or just, you know, not really understanding the playbook, not being in the right spot at the right time, you know, the, the drops that led to some issues. So, um, if he can clean that up, then you're 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 talking about another guy that you you got an undrafted free agency who can be a you know tight end two borderline you know tight end two tight end three for you for a while. So that's a good value. It's just cleaning up some of those things that he might have struggled with in year one. Yep, absolutely. 
All right, uh, offensive line, we got three guys we need to touch on. Tyler Smith, I mean, I think the conversation around him has kind of gotten back to where we hoped it would, where, you know, you're, you're seeing Tyron Smith at left tackle, Tyler Smith at left guard, you know, a mix of Matt Well, let's go a guy we're going to talk about here in a second, and then hopefully a healthy Terrence Steele at right tackle. So, um, you know, I, for me, I think in year two for Tyler Smith, that if Tyron Smith is healthy, he will be your starting left guard, and he will do a really nice job there. Um I, you know, I, 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 a fan of Tyler Smith that wasn't pre-draft. I think some of the conversation pieces might have gotten a little out of hand with, you know, Ty, Tyler Smith making Pro Bowls and being an All-Pro and all that. But I think that he's a quality left tackle and he's a quality left guard, um, which is something nice to have. And, and when you pick those players at the back end of the first round, you're you're excited when you draft a quality offensive lineman. And I think that's what they got in Tyler Smith. Yeah, I think you, uh, I think you got it. Pretty well nailed again. It, it, he, you know, anytime a rookie comes in and steps in for an injured player and takes over at left tackle and plays at an acceptable level, like that's going to be notable, especially when he's the 27th or 28th pick in the round, right? Like you're, you're not expecting to, to get starting level left tackle play on day one from a guy you pick there. Other, otherwise, he, he would have gone, if people thought he could do what he did at left right. tackle last year he would have gone in the top 15 picks or something like that, Um, which is, you know, fantastic for Tyler and, you know, unbelievable development in the way he played and all those kinds of things. He deserves all the credit there. Um, And because of that, everybody just feels really good about if he's playing left tackle, we don't, if Tyron Smith gets hurt, we no longer have to worry about left tackle. Now we have to worry about left guard because Tyler Smith is the left guard and the backup left tackle. Uh, So that says a lot about Tyler Smith. And I think you just, Expect him to be a good offensive lineman, which in the NFL is extremely valuable. Um, and so, yeah, and then, you know, Matt Willetsko is going to get time at right tackle. And uh, and that's kind of cool to me and interesting because they used to, and maybe this was a Joe Philbin thing, they used to kind of have left side players and right side players. And Matt Willetsko was going to be a left side player. And, and it seems like uh, the new offensive line coach leans less that direction and more towards like, hey, we're going to – cross-train these guys on both sides and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so it's cool to see Matt Well, let's go get an opportunity at right tackle because whether they're, you know, who knows what the odds are on a, on Terrence still being ready, you know, as soon as they break camp or whatever, ready for week one. Um, but if he's not, um, it sure is a lot simpler answer to plug Matt Well, let's go in at right tackle and feel okay about that, hopefully than it is to move Tyron from left tackle to right tackle, move Tyler from left guard to left tackle and plug a different guard in and then unshuffle all of that three or four weeks into the season when Terrence Steele comes back. So, and maybe that's been their thinking with the whole, Hey, maybe Terrence Steele will play guard conversation um, is to have their tackles set and, and go from there. But hopefully, and it seems like they've worked their way back to the common sense approach to the offensive line. And if Matt Willetsko, this mountain of a human being, is capable of stepping in and playing right tackle for a few weeks if you need him or left tackle for a few weeks if you need him there, um, that's fantastic returns on a you know fifth-round pick from North Dakota um, <laughs> in his second year. Yeah. No, Especially I, a guy who didn't play at all as a rookie because of injury. Right, right. I mean, I think that's the – you know, like I don't disagree with anything that you said. I think that's the one thing I'm trying to get myself to – 
to maybe not buy into the hype so much because, you know, again, we've never really seen him. That's the thing. And he played at North Dakota, you know, this last year. So it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, all right, they're talking real high. You know, it's like, I think we've talked about this on the show before, but like, it's almost like the Terrence Steele thing from a couple of years ago. You got a, you know, a guy who really hasn't played much, but they're hyping up a lot. And it's like tough to really buy into it because you haven't seen him do it. Um, but it's hard not to get excited about, you know, even it's just him, you know, coming in and being your for sure swing tackle, like for a fifth round dude out of North Dakota, that's a win. Um, and yeah, if he's absolutely. Able to, it is. If he's able to slide in and start games or, you know, be a rotational guy for you if you need him, like that's a bigger win. So, I mean, it's, it's really going to be interesting to see how the, the preseason and training camp and everything works out for him because he's definitely gotten the, the Terrence Steele type of red carpet, you know, where it's like every, all the fans are kind of like, all right, we get it, but we don't really understand it yet because we haven't seen this guy. Um, but, I mean, that's the same same sort of route that Terrence Steele took. A lot of the, you know, he's got the size, he's got the athleticism, it's, you know, developing some of the play strength, it's cleaning up a few things, and we think this guy's a starting caliber offensive lineman. And when that was a talk for Terrence Steele, I was probably on the show going, I just don't see that at all, you know, same thing. But it's just a, you know, do you buy into the hype and, and, and go all in, or do you just kind of wait and see it play out and, see what happens. And obviously I'm, I'm, I hate riding the fence and being in the middle, but I'm almost kind of doing that with him just because I don't want to get my feelings hurt again. <laughs> yeah. And it's, we, we know almost nothing. He did almost nothing in training right. camp last year, did nothing in the preseason, did nothing in the regular season. So we, we literally know nothing about what this guy is as an NFL player. So there's a lot of intrigue, a lot of excitement because he was, you know, he came in as this big athletic ball of clay for them to mold. And then we didn't get to see any of it last year. So now this is the super excitement going into year two of this kind of guy. We see this all the time. Um, and, and we'll we'll know a lot about how they feel about Matt Willetsko, um, along with some of the other young offensive linemen, based on whether three weeks into camp there's a Dalton Reisner or some other veteran offensive lineman being added to this group as that sort of insurance and security against those injuries and shuffling that we talked about a little bit ago. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Um, Alex Lindstrom, and again, I think he's kind of a guy that that's practice squad, borderline roster guy. Um, they have so many guys who can kind of fit and play in on the interior, so that's why he's a guy that I think is just tough to really – you know, Josh Ball has been talked about working in at guard. Um, I know Lindstrom's more of your natural center, but Matt Farniok's a guy. Brock Hoffman's a guy who's on the roster, so it's kind of – it's interesting because you've got a lot of bodies there who can kind of split between the, 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 the guard and center spot. Um, I mean, he was a guy at Boston college who's an undrafted free agent. A lot of people thought he was going to get drafted. He didn't get really get any run last year. So to me, I think he's probably another guy that might get bit by the, you know, depth bullet um, and might end up having to, you know, try to get on the practice squad at some point. But there's also, a, you know, if he comes out and kicks, kicks ass this, this preseason that, you know, you could see him be the backup center to Tyler Biotish, and, you know, maybe they try to give him some flex to play some guard too so he can be that swing interior offensive lineman. Yeah, and it'll be interesting if they keep Lindstrom around. I think it says as much about what they think about the future of Tyler Biotish sure. as it does what they think of the current state of the roster because – if they don't feel like there's going to be an opportunity to re-sign Tyler Biotish, or if they don't want to 
if they want to continue to try to stay relatively young and cheap on the offensive line, uh, knowing, you know, Terrence Steele's about to get expensive, Zach Martin's already expensive, uh, all that kind of stuff. If they want to try to keep, you know, three-fifths or, you know, however much of their offensive line young and cheap, which is, you know, not a terrible thing to do, then keeping Lindstrom around as maybe a bridge to another center that you draft next year or something like that is, you know, it's not a terrible path to take. And it's something that if they're thinking a year or two out like that, which we know they, you know, tend to like to do, um, I think they'll prioritize keeping him around, especially, you know, the, and then there's the Matt Farniak discussion that goes into that too of, of those three guys and how they all fit together in terms of guard and center and all that other kind of stuff. Yep, no doubt. All right, defensive side of the ball is a little bit softer. Not as many guys coming back for their second year. Um the one who I think's probably got the the highest ceiling and most potential, we'll start with him, and that's Sam Williams, uh, defensive end, pass rusher. Um, had a pretty damn good first year um, in a rotational role. I think a lot of people thought he should have gotten more run, you know, as we kind of saw Dorrance Armstrong. Well, again, you, depending on who you talk to, you know, a lot of the, the stats for the counting numbers for Dorrance Armstrong were high, but a lot of people kind of look at his play thought towards the end of the year there that they could have gotten a little bit more pass rush production from a snap to snap basis from a Sam Williams and they were getting from Armstrong. So I'm interested to see does does Williams does Williams take that next step and is he a guy that is, you know, again, as much as I love him, like maybe even cutting into some of Demarcus Lawrence's snaps on third downs and pass rush downs and stuff like that. Um, because I think he's got all the potential in the world to be a guy that, sure, he's not ever going to probably be a Micah Parsons, but I think he's a guy who's got six to eight sacks in him a year if he's able to really, you know, mentally figure it out and then just clean up on some of the technical issues that he showed last year with some false steps and, you know, kind of, I've talked to John about the, you know, on the show a couple weeks ago, like maybe showing some moves a bit too early, like just cleaning up some of those little technical aspects of his game could really take him to the next step and be a difference maker on this defense. Um, and I think he's got the ability to make that step in year two and, and really get going here in 2023. Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna be a guy who's really exciting to watch. You know, we keep talking about camp because it's the next thing, right? You get all the one-on-ones, you're gonna get some Sam Williams, Tyler Smith one-on-ones and things like that that are gonna be really exciting to watch. And, you know, we know, you know, we've talked about the defensive tackles and you know the relative weak spot on the roster that that is compared to the rest of the roster. We know they like to do things like reduce DeMarcus Lawrence down to rush against offensive guards. And if you've got, if Sam Williams takes that next step, like you talked about, even if he doesn't step into that, like ultra high end tier, even if he just steps up into that sort of second tier, you know, pass rusher edge guy, then you have the opportunity to have Lawrence on the inside, Parsons and Williams on the outside, figure out what you're going to do at the, the at the other interior pass rusher spot. And that's a, that's a pretty dynamic um, interior exterior rush combination there on, on third downs or late in the games or things like that when you're trying to finish things out. So um, a lot on the table for Sam Williams, I think. And, um, and based on what we saw last year, there's a lot of, reason to be really excited about that potential and the fact the idea that that potential could come to fruition yeah and speaking of excitement and kind of going off the same vibe there is Damone Clark the next guy we're going to touch on is I mean a lot of people didn't think he would play at all last year and he actually ended up playing quite a bit so while I think there was 
some roller coaster rides for him going up and going down, you know, probably a little bit more than he, the team and fans would like to see. It's tough to get, but so upset about it because you didn't think he'd be able to play coming back from sports hernia and, you know, the fact that he's able to get on the field. But I mean, a lot of the reasons that we're excited about Sam Williams is why we're excited about Damone Clark, just the athleticism, the explosiveness, um, you know, the size, the ability to kind of play all over the field, do a lot of different things. So Damone Clark's that, you know, a guy a year after kind of coming back from a, a poor injury, a bad injury, you know, a year healthier, a year older, a year after learning the system. I think he's a guy who can make like Sam Williams, a huge leap in year two and really solidify himself as, is you know, the second best linebacker on this team and, you know, a guy you can trust alongside Leighton Vander Esch. And if Leighton Vander Esch, you know, continues to maybe struggle with some injury stuff, he can, you know, slide in and be the, the guy that can kind of be a calming presence uh, when LVE does, does, you know, unfortunately probably end up missing some games due to injury. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're, you're absolutely right in that there's a lot of, of, um, a lot of potential for some really uh, significant development from Damone Clark, just both in terms of, you know, him personally, but also in terms of like Dan Quinn, the defensive staff, like they weren't probably even necessarily expecting to have him on the team last year. So who knows how much they went into the season with a plan for how to, you know, most how to get the most out of Damone Clark and how much of that sort of came together on the fly as he was playing when they didn't expect him to play last year. And so uh, so it'll be it'll be cool to see him and what the development is like. And there's, you know, a decent amount of co- uh, competition there for that second linebacker spot um, on the on the field at any particular time since, you know, they Nicholas base. But uh, but. I think Damone Clark showed enough last year to get you really excited about what with an actual off season of work on the field and with a training camp and all those things that he didn't have last year, just like we talked about, well, let's go, except we got to see Clark on the field. Um, it will be, uh, it will be really exciting to see what, uh, what he's able to become as we get into his second year. Yep. No, absolutely. Um, the last linebacker, and then we got two DBs to touch on real quick. Uh, Devin Harper. Um, that was one at the time the pick was made. I really didn't understand it. Um, you know, he was Oklahoma state guy. We'd saw him a lot on tape, you know, watching some other guys on that defense a year, but, uh, really was a kind of a surprising pick. And I think he was drafted more so to be a really keen, uh, key, uh, special teams player. Uh, obviously he got hurt and did not make an impact in year one, Year two, do you think he's a guy that's got a chance to make the roster? And if so, what kind of impact do you see him making? I mean, if he if he's going to make the roster and make an impact, you talked about it, it's going to be on special teams because we just talked about how much competition there is and how many resources they have invested in, you know, the traditional off-the-ball linebacker and who those guys are and all that kind of stuff. So um, if he's going to make the roster, it's going to be on teams, and it's, it's going to be a tough path for him to – to get to that point just because of, you know, the numbers that they've got, how little they play linebackers, you know, if he, if he's, I mean, and we're talking about probably linebacker five here. So there's probably a pretty good chance he makes the roster. Um, But if he, if he doesn't show all those things that we hope he does on teams, he, somebody is going to creep up and take that spot because, uh, because, that those reserve linebackers do play a lot of team snaps. 
Yep. No, absolutely. That's gonna that was always kind of his route to making a team, I thought, even his rookie year and you know, sticking around. So if if and he's a guy that, you know, if you end up missing out on a guy, you know, if you end up going short and moving over from a guy like CJ Goodwin, like maybe they carry him and, and replace, but I definitely think he's gonna have to really, really impress on special teams this offseason and preseason and then really earn his spot on this team because there's a lot, as we've talked about, there's a lot of dudes at that linebacker room right now that you know, there's a lot of bodies that you got to fit in somewhere. Um, so it's just, it's, it's really earning his spot and proving his value, especially as a two-way guy, as a special teams and a linebacker. All right, last two guys, Deron Bland and Marquise Bell. Um, we'll start with Bell just because he'll probably be a little bit quicker. Um, he's kind of fits some of the role of some of our other guys, the the Alex Lindstrom's and Peyton Hendershots of the world, where it's like, hey, he, made, he, he played some last year, a very limited role. Um, I think he's probably your your fifth, um, fifth or sixth safety on this roster. You got Malik Hooker, Donovan Wilson, Israel McQuamu, Jerron Curse, and then Marquise Bell, Tyler Coyle, a guy who got some playing time last year too. Um, and then they've added a couple of veterans, Sheldrick Red, uh, Redwines, a guy who might be able to push him for his roster spot. But I think Bell's got a lot of intrigue. They, they liked him kind of as your your Jerron Curse uh, light sort of player um do you see him sticking around after you know if everybody's healthy you think he's a guy who can carve out a role or see more of probably going to be this uh a uh practice squad candidate i mean they liked him a lot last year they carried him for a while last year on the roster if i remember right um i think he probably makes the roster as a fifth safety special teams primary contributor um and then he will you know especially if there's an injury to one of those down safeties, uh, he will, you know, he will fill in a lot behind where Israel McQuamu um, is going to have a more specific role, probably with some, some corner safety flex and stuff like that. Um, it, it'll be, it'll be cool to see Marquise Bell get the chance to, uh, you know, we talk about year two and how much, how much different it is for these guys. And I think he's going to have the chance to show that, It'll be tough for any of these guys to really get on the field much because of the three safeties that they have plus McQuamu. But, but I, I think Marquise Bell is – he's going to fit in that equation in that fourth, fifth safety, second, third, tight end, third, fourth, fifth linebackers that play so much of your special teams. Yeah, and he was a guy that last year, like, I was kind of stunned that they didn't draft him because there was a lot of rumors coming out pre-draft how much they liked him um, coming out of Florida A&M. So they definitely, he's definitely got a lot of fans in the building, and that always goes a long way. Like I said, he's kind of battling it out for that fifth or sixth safety spot, you know, but his versatility maybe plays some of that linebacker and special teams. Like him and realistically, even those different positions, like him and Devin Harper might be battling out for that one of those roster spots. Yep, you got it exactly right. Deron Bland, and then we are out of here. Um, again, a, a great year in year one, given the circumstances and what we kind of had from an expectation, stand, uh, expectation standpoint. Uh, year two, it gets a little bit more interesting with Jordan Lewis back and hopefully healthy. Um, you know, it's tough to maybe see him starting the season as the starting slot guy. Uh, if Jordan Lewis is healthy and playing well, um, just because of the the veteran presence that Jordan Lewis has, and even though he doesn't really fit the prototype that Dan Quinn normally likes in corners, we always hear Dan Quinn speak very highly of Jordan, uh, and, and you know says that he thinks he's one of the best DBs in on the team and one of the more underappreciated DBs in the league. So 
Uh, Deron Bland might be in for a little bit more battle this year, but I think he's a guy that's absolutely on the team. Um, and I think he's a guy who's consistently going to be on the field, even if he's not a starter, just because of his versatility to play inside and out and uh, how well he played last year and how much developing uh, we think that he could do in year two. Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting, that slot corner conversation this year, just because, you know, do they do they take the, the financially driven approach of let's put the young guy on the field and – you know, potentially move or consider moving or see if there's a market for the uh, the veteran player who might be a little bit more expensive? Or do we stick with the veteran guy who, you know, has been, you know, through the ringer several times of an NFL season and, uh, and we, you know, we know we have the quality depth with the inside-out flex that Deron Bland has shown. Uh, it's definitely going to be interesting to see that slot corner, that nickel corner battle sort of take place, um, especially because, you know, we've talked before here about the flexibility that both uh, Stefan or I keep calling him Stefan Diggs, <laughs> Trayvon Diggs and Stefan Gilmore. We could call him Stefan Diggs and combine the two of them, right? Uh, <laughs> the, no, the I like, having both, I like those, having both of them separate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, the uh, with what, those two guys bring from a flexibility standpoint to to mirror and match receivers having a nickel who can move in and out is also super valuable and you know luckily for the Cowboys both Bland and Lewis have some experience playing on the outside in college and at the pro game so it'll be uh it'll be cool to see that slot battle play out um and, and how they how they decide to put those snaps especially you know Kelvin Joseph is a year three guy but he's he's getting work in the slot and it and sort of a little safety situation too so uh, a, a lot of we talk a lot about this defensive back group and the depth that's there, and Deron Bland is one of the reasons because he he's proven he can be a corner two in this league, and you know he's going to be you know now fighting it out to be you know the the corner three or four on this team, uh, and that's a pretty awesome spot to be for a roster. Yep, that is all we got for today. Like I said, we're about a month out from training camp. It's obviously going to get a lot more exciting. Closer we get, uh, kind of in that dead period right now, but um, I think we said that camp starts on the 26th is the first practice. Um, so they'll be they'll be yep. in camp. Uh, I just saw a tweet from Calvin Watkins come through. Uh, they officially announced training camp will start July 26th in Oxnard, California. Um, opening ceremonies July 29th, first padded practice July 31st. So uh, it's going to be – or like I said, we're just 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 over a month away from the first padded practice of training camp. So that'll be here before we know it. We'll obviously keep up the talks and conversations leading up to that, and then we can't wait to get uh get get to Oxnard with the team and uh talk more about it. So we will uh we're gonna try to try to keep the train rolling, keep the ball rolling, and then uh training camp will be here before you know it, and then week one will be here before you know it from then. So we're uh excited to keep talking. Like I said, make sure you guys are Continuing to follow, subscribe, the Blogging the Boy podcast feed on whichever podcast platform you listen on. Uh, make sure you rate, review, and give us a uh, a good rating and review so we can keep coming back and doing this bad boy and leaving us comments and all that good stuff, too. We appreciate everybody listening. We'll be back next week on the Talk of the Star podcast. See you then.